Guernsey, the NFL Combine starts this week. So what players are we looking at the closest? We'll talk about it on the Burns and Gambo Show, and it starts at straight up 2 o'clock on Arizona Sports. Well, I can tell you one player you won't be watching at the Combine this week. Marvin Harrison Jr. Yeah. That kind of gets under my skin as well. Does it? Yeah, I don't like it. Well, let's just start there then. Because I, I don't like it, but I think the system... I don't like it, but I, I the system has put it in, a, in like, if you're Marvin Harrison Jr., you have nothing to gain and everything to lose by participating at the Combine. So I don't know where this is all going, but he doesn't really have anything to gain by showing up. Yeah, I understand the logic. I really do, brothers. Um, once again, what are the odds you're actually going to go out there and burst something? What are they? Well, maybe if you haven't been doing a whole lot, maybe that's the reason why you want to sit out. And if you do, that's your prerogative. I I get that. I understand it. I love dudes that were going to be drafted in the first round that say, you know what? I want to go compete. That's what I love. They're driven, and you can tell they're driven. And I realize Marvin Harrison Jr. has everything to lose and nothing to gain. Well, you know what? Yeah. He could go out there on the very first play his rookie year and blow his Achilles out. And I know you could all say, well, you know what? He's already drafted by Ben Wolf. Yeah, I, I just, a player's mentality, Basinonians, to me, um, you know what? I'm going to play as hard as I possibly can. I'm going to compete as hard as I possibly can. And I'll let the chips fall where they may. That's the kind of mentality that I have. I understand his logic. I get it. I just would have loved to have seen a guy like that say, you know what, I don't care. I'm going to go out there and compete. What will happen will happen. Well, the exact uh, the tweet from Albert Breer says he won't uh, he'll he'll be around. Let me see if I can find the exact tweet. He'll be around, but he's not actually going to be participating in anything. And then he's going to be getting ready for um, I think it's a football activity. So it doesn't sound like he's going to be participating in Ohio State's Pro Day either. Yeah, I would imagine interviews, though. He's he's probably going to do that, correct? Yeah, I would think you probably have to do that. He doesn't say that in there one way or the other. Um, but I, I don't know. Well, like the I interview said, thing is really a big deal. It is a huge part of this equation right here. Yeah, if I'm a team looking to draft a player and they don't want to run the 40 because they're, they're widely considered the top wide receiver in the draft... I can at least wrap my head around that, whether I agree with it or not. But if I'm a team looking to draft a player in the top five or top ten and he won't do an interview, that'd be a little bit different. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because he might not run a faster 40 than Malik Neighbors. He probably won't. So is that going to make teams decide, well, Malik Neighbors is suddenly better because he ran in a straight line faster when there was no football going on around him? I can at least understand that logic. You have nothing to gain and everything to lose. But I would assume, yeah, you got to do the interviews because that's if you're scared to interview, that's a totally different story. Yeah. What are you afraid of? Speaking of scared, <laughs> what are you afraid of? Just go run, dude. Compete. Go out there and do it. Here's, what are you afraid of? The, the post from Albert Breer is Marvin Harrison will be in Indy. He'll meet with teams. He's not just skipping testing, though. He's decided not to train at all for any of that training to play football instead. Hope is it'll give him a leg up with his new team. Training to play football instead. That is that is a good one. Boy, that was well written right there. Training to play football instead of actually going to a combine and recording this, that, and the other thing. Training to actually play the game of football. I get it. I get it. It's a track meet. The numbers, of course. I just, 
you know, to me, I don't like it when I see guys trying to pull the strings on everything they do. And yet, that is today's NFL, and largely because of the agents that are involved. Well, it's funny you say agent, because Marvin Harrison Jr. is not expected to hire an agent either. Okay, wait a minute. What? That's, that is the... He's not expected to... Okay, so is this coming from his dad? Is that what you're saying? I... Every, is his dad going to be his agent? Everything I have seen today, he hasn't hired an agent, and he's not expected to. Wow. Okay. Um, that's three and a half percent right there. He's not going to have to send him. That's kind of cool. How big is that? That's substantial. It's, sub- it's substantial, but it's also a nice write-off, Basin Onions. Yeah. Get to write that off. But from a team drafting him, from that perspective, is that does that... Not that it's going to change. Now you're going to go into the draft and be like, well, we want Harrison, but he doesn't have an agent, so now we, we don't want him, or vice versa. Now we're going to take him because he's not going to have an agent. Yeah, But it is a little bit different. Agent. Yeah, man. Oh, okay. Um, listen, having an agent for first-round picks anymore, it's not like it used to be, okay? It used to be really, really important, obviously. And it's one of the reasons why so many guys held out a training camp how many guys, right? You just don't see that happen anymore because of the slotting. You just don't see it happen. But, um, man, this is going to be really, really interesting. I wonder if he's he's got to have a confidant. He's got to have somebody that is at least going to take phone calls for him, right? I, I don't know. Man. <laughs> I wonder if his dad, seriously, this is, my, my mind is racing. I mean, his live on the air right now, but I'm wondering if his dad is going to be involved in all that. His dad obviously has a lot of experience at the NFL level. I mean, he's a Hall of Famer, and his son, like you said, is going to be a top five pick for sure. I mean, you have to be available. There are people that are going to be asking questions and wanting to know answers to important questions that you are going to have to make a determination on. Do you want to make all those calls or return all those calls? Somebody's got to be doing this for him. That that, that Breer tweet says he'll meet with teams, so he'll He'll be there. He'll he'll be wow. talking to teams, but he's not he's not running or lifting or anything. I'll throw another mock draft at you just because of one specific line in it. And I know that we've gone over a lot of mock drafts since the end of the season. Uh, this is a new one from Gennaro Felice on uh, NFL.com. And it has the Cardinals taking Marvin Harrison Jr. at number four. Okay, most most mocks do if he's there. Yeah. But it's the um it's it's this line right here. You know, did a little write up of the paragraph. This could be the easiest pick of the draft, unquote. (laughs) Yeah, you know, know, once again, not only because of the extreme talent that you're watching when you watch Marvin Harrison Jr., but also the kind of fit that he would be for a team that needs to continue to evolve their game where they attack the line of scrimmage and then use play action to throw the ball, especially over the middle of the field. And wouldn't it be great when you got a 5'10 quarterback to see a 6'4 receiver, a tree, as I like to say, running in the secondary. It's a perfect fit. Any reason to look at receiver and free agency at this point? I mean, if you know you're going to address it in the draft... 
And, yeah. and you figure you're going to have Michael Wilson. I'm, I'm wondering when you say free agency, what about Hollywood Brown? I'm well, just wondering right there. I'm setting that... him aside for okay. a second. Yeah, obviously you have to address him one way or the other. But if you, if you keep him. He would be what I would prefer. If you're going to spend, you know, $12 million or something like that, I would love for Hollywood Brown to be the guy. If you're going for a Marvin Harrison yeah. Jr. Well, because then you have Marvin Harrison Jr., Hollywood Brown, Michael Wilson, Trey McBride. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Do I love that? And all of a sudden, then Hollywood Brown becomes a lot more valuable because he's the little fast guy out of everybody. Uh, all right, we come back. One of the Diamondbacks' biggest strengths going into this season is the outfield. So how many outfielders are they going to carry into the season? It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Hey, it's Vince Murata. Join us Tuesday morning. ASU Sun Devils coming off an upset win over ranked Washington State. We'll talk to the head coach, Bobby Hurley. Join us starting at 6 here on Arizona Sports. I'll just add this real quick to that Marvin Harrison Jr. discussion we were just having, Wolf. The Albert Breer tweet or post on X that I was referencing. Todd McShay quoted it. Said the team that drafts Marv, and then in parentheses he puts Cardinals at four, if not New England at three, will be thrilled with this decision. Unquestionably what's best for his body, mind as a rookie, rare for a player to earn this privilege with no potential draft night repercussions. <laughs> MHJ has earned it. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. So he's going to answer all the phone calls that are going to come his way on this. I guess. I would imagine. Yeah. Okay. Marvin Maybe Harrison Jr. doing it a completely different way. Wow. Shocked by this. All right. Over to baseball. D-backs going to play the A's out in Mesa today, assuming the weather uh, cooperates. And then we're going to be out there tomorrow. For D-backs, uh, Rangers, I think you're right. We'll probably be sitting in left field. You'll be able to find Wolf. He'll be the one sitting with his back to the field <laughs> so he doesn't get distracted by the game during yeah, the broadcast. Right, man. Uh, Steve Gilbert joined us last hour. He talked about the log jam in the outfield. We always dive into these. Who's going to make that 26-spot-man spot? Who's going to win that last spot in the bullpen? And then like a week into the season, everything changes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, 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 it's nice that they have some depth. I think, you know, you, you mentioned that they that probably the starting outfield is the same as it was uh, in, in last year when you got uh, uh, Corbin Carroll in right, Alec Thomas in center, and Gurriel in left, and then you got Peterson net, might see a little time out there, might not see some time out there. Gritchick definitely will will see some time out there once his ankle fully heals, um, and then you know that there is a question as to what happens uh, with that final spot there. Do they carry an extra infielder? Do they carry an extra outfielder? So yeah, it is. It is. Uh, it does kind of put uh, Jake McCarthy a little bit on the bubble there uh, for somebody trying to win a spot. Jake McCarthy, who you remember two years ago, I know last year he struggled to hit, obviously, and then he kind of got a little bit better and then got hurt, and he wasn't a part of the playoffs because he was he was hurt. Um, but in 2022, really technically his rookie season, in 99 games he hit 283. With 23 stolen bases. Yeah. So it's, and, and that's, that's not like, hey, this was his peak year. Like that was kind of his breaking into the league year. And that was before the new rules that makes it easier to steal bases. <laughs> it's like you feel like if he could be in the lineup right. every day, he could be like 
I don't know, a 50-stolen base guy, really. It's not only that as well, but remember Jake McCarthy and how well he played his position and field is his position. Whether he was playing center field or right field, Jake McCarthy did an excellent job fielding his position. And you know how big I am on that, especially with this outfield. You're going to tell me that somehow, some way, you could get Jake McCarthy, a Jake McCarthy of 2022, I might add. Jake McCarthy and then Alec Thomas and Corbin Carroll, that outfield. And I know Lourdes Gurriel Jr., everyone says, you know, he's going to be the, the left field guy, and I understand that, but he's also going to be DH as well. So it's, it, I'd love to see that outfield back for the Arizona Diamondbacks. I'm not ready to give up on Jake McCarthy. Not yet. And I know there are some people out there, some fans, that probably have moved on from Jake McCarthy. I'm not one of them. Yeah, I I mean, the best-case scenario for the D-backs is that he gets back to being that 2022 guy, and then you you have basically too many outfielders, but whatever. I mean, that's a good problem to have. Uh, I mean, I guess you could keep all of them going into the season, but if you're talking about players that are really worth paying attention to in spring training, he might be at the very top of the list, honestly. I mean, Jordan Lawler's one for sure, but there might be a point where Jordan Lawler, no matter what he does, just might not have a path to playing time yeah. this right out of the gate this season. You'll see him at some point this year. Certainly the number five starter spot that we've already talked about today um, is, is going to be something to watch, whether that's Tommy Henry or Ryan Nelson or Slade Ciccone or whoever. But Jake McCarthy, just in terms of like, if he has a really good spring, maybe he forces them to keep him and they keep one less infielder. And if he doesn't, man, I don't know what happens to him because he didn't hit last year. And he handled everything with the right attitude, and then he got hurt right before the playoffs. And, you know, he's only had six at-bats so far this spring. He's one for six. I don't think you can read too much into that yet. But I, I do think the next few weeks are really big for him, especially because Bob Nightingale had that story that they offered him in the trade for Christian Mania and the White Sox took Fletcher instead, took Dominic Fletcher. Yeah. You know what's interesting, too, based on so when we talk about the Arizona Diamondbacks for me right now, man, you know how fascinated I am with this young talent and how much better can this young talent actually get? Corbin Carroll, Gabby Moreno, Alec Thomas, Geraldo Perdomo, Brandon Fott, Jake McCarthy, we're talking about him, right? This young talent, how much better can they get? And when I think of that, I think specifically of Alec Thomas, because I think he might have the most room to actually grow and the most promise as well. Corbin Carroll, we know what you have with Corbin Carroll right now. Alec Thomas, the way he came on at the end of last season, <laughs> in the postseason as well. They lose to Philly if it's you not will, for him. How much, when we talk about young guys growing, man, I think of Alec Thomas first and foremost. Oh, here's Tori Lovello. Well, yeah, there are challenges because I feel like AT is is evolving into play every day, and I think um, we're still reading react to that. But you know, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of innings out there, and um, if you have too many, I think the number you, how many did you bring up? Six or seven? Six, six yeah. Um, you're going to fight to get guys consistent playing time. We believe in days off. You guys are aware of that. But, um, I mean, there's a certain number and there's a sweet spot. We start count up innings and how many were left over for player A. What does that matchup look like? Player B, where is where's he going to fall into his strengths and limitations? How can we get him? How bats are going to be most productive? So those are conversations that are happening right now. 
there it is right there. You know, Tori Lovello saying he's evolving into playing every day. Alec Thomas, A.T., AT&T. <laughs> AT. Okay, not AT&T. Strike that, okay? AT. You're just handing out nicknames That's not today. Paola. Okay, but... <laughs> no, no, it just confused You have me. to wonder about it, man. You do. Alec Thomas, he's got so much potential, so much talent. Can he actually grow into that everyday player? Man, I think he's going to. I think, when again, when I think of these young players getting better, he's the cornerstone of that. Well, he's such a good fielder. He's such a great fielder. And so. when I say that, I mean in how much better I think he's going to be than what we've seen. So what you have right now, just to kind of reset it for anybody that's just driving around or whatever, you know you have Corbin Carroll, Lourdes Gurriel, and Alec Thomas. That's basically, that's your outfield most days. Yeah. Uh, but Tori does like to juggle, and he likes to have depth, and he likes to rest, guys. You've got some combination right now of Jock Peterson, Randall Grichuk, Jake McCarthy, and then others that might be able to either pass Jake McCarthy or get sort of bounced if McCarthy performs in the spring. If you kept all six, I mean, you can play Peterson as a DH, certainly. You can rotate guys through DH. I mean, you, you feel like a lot of... A lot of days, the Diamondbacks may have an outfielder in the DH role, but that still is only getting you four of these guys in the lineup each day. You know, So then are you kind of rotating one through and guys are getting days off and maybe he's playing four games every like 12? I don't know. I mean, at a certain point, if you're keeping six outfielders, the sixth one probably isn't playing very much at all. Yes. You know, um, Jake McCarthy is... The big question mark. Um, You already said this, Luke. You're on this right now, and I feel exactly the same way. It's a great problem to have (laughs) for the Diamondbacks, but, man, um, I I just... I I don't want to give up on Jake McCarthy. I don't don't. Because he was so... There was was untapped potential two years ago. You were like, hey, wait a minute. You get an outfield with... I mean, at the time, it was like, you're going to have an outfield with McCarthy, Alec Thomas, and Corbin Carroll? Yeah. <laughs> like, right. All right, that'll work, and then so, obviously Gurriel comes. The no fly zone. Yeah. That, that was the beginning of it. That was that was it. So we'll we'll see we'll see where that goes. But he's certainly the one with the upside in that second group. But also, like they may not want to just keep him around if he's not going to play. That's the other part. Uh, text us your thoughts to the Fanduel text line at six twenty six twenty right now. We come back. The Suns are one and two since the All Star break. How are you feeling about them now compared to you know like a week ago at this time? It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Hey everybody, it's Bernsey after a rough loss to the Mavs last week with the Suns able to bounce back against Dylan the Villain and the King. It's the Burns and Gambo Show and it starts at straight up 2 o'clock. Alright, Suns off now until Thursday when they play the Houston Rockets and then of a game Saturday against the Houston Rockets this coming days after they played the Houston Rockets <laughs> on Friday. Well, yes. so I don't know if this is some sort of like weird in-season tournament thing that I didn't know about where you just play a series against the Houston Rockets, but um, they lost to them on Friday, and now they have two more meetings Thursday and Saturday. Obviously, there was a win over the Lakers mixed in there yesterday. What they haven't had for any of these games since the All-Star break is Bradley Beal. And I don't know about you, 
but I kind of thought when when the All Star break was coming up, and they were like, "Yeah, you know, he's he's, he's close. And he's just got the All Star break coming up, and you know, maybe he'll come back for the Dallas game." And then we got closer, and it's like, "Yeah, you know, there's pretty good chance." Not only did he miss the Dallas game, he missed the Houston game, and now he's missing uh, at least the Lakers game, and who knows now going forward. So this is a little bit different than maybe it's a week-long injury and the All-Star break hit at the right time. Now he hasn't played in a while. Yeah, no, you're right about that, and this has been an issue with Bradley Beal, Ron Wolfley reporting. I think we all understand this right now, but Frank Vogel sounded so optimistic um, that the All-Star break, it was coming at a great time for him, and he was going to get better. The nose got adjusted, <laughs> right, and he was going to get better. The hamstring was feeling better. We just it, we felt so positive, and, and again, I'm not holding Frank Vogel responsible for that. That's, no, but it, that's just a coach commenting on that, but it tells me that maybe he did something to retweak that thing. His last full game was over two weeks ago, February 10th against Golden State. He played five minutes against the Kings on uh, February 13th. That's the game where he got hurt. Um, And and look, he's been banged up. That wasn't even the game with the nose injury. That's from a little while ago, and he was supposed to kind of get that reset during the break. Is it a big deal right now? No, not if the guys off the bench or the guys that step in for him are going to play the way they did yesterday. And the most important thing is that you have the big three healthy for the playoffs. I think we all agree with that. If you, if you don't have the big three for the playoffs, I don't know that you really are going to have much of a shot at, at pulling this off, um, this being an NBA title. But at the same time, it's like for a while there, he was getting banged up, but he kept playing. I'm not saying he should be playing through a hamstring injury. It's just more like, is this a problem? (laughs) Well, it can be a problem. And that's one of the reasons why I say, man, it makes me believe that he strained his hamstring. And it's interesting because that's what they called it, a strained hamstring. Frank Vogel called it a strained hamstring. Hamstring, not a pulled hamstring, because a pull hamstring immediately, you're looking at a minimum of two weeks. Yeah. Okay? Depending on what grade of a pull it is. But minimum now it's been two weeks. Of two weeks, and typically right around three for the most part. A strained hamstring, maybe 10 days. Okay? Unless you retweak it. And I'm wondering if that's what happened again. By the time they play again Thursday, and he hasn't been ruled in or out for Thursday, but that'll be February 29th. His last game action at all was five minutes against Sacramento on February 13th. So that'll have been over two weeks at that point. We'll see. Look, I mean, there's still 24 games left. If he comes back this weekend against Houston or Oklahoma City and he's good to go the rest of the way, nobody will care. But if this is something that's going to linger or something you got to... You know, I was talking to Aaron about this before the the show last week when KD had the the play where he went down yeah. and, and he, it looked like he might be hurt for a second, but really just a shoe would come shoe. off. Yeah, it's like that feels like the way we're going to be watching the Suns the rest of the way. If any of the big three is down for a second, it's like wait, okay, let's season's over. I'll just move. Yeah, um, it is frustrating, isn't it? Man, it's so frustrating. You want these guys to be able to play together. And, and we saw kind of a, a sample size of over 20 games. We saw what was happening where, what, they went 19 and 7? Yeah. 
Over a 20, now not all of the big three played all 26 of those games. But, but the majority, still, that, the that majority was kind of like. It was over 20. Yeah, that was kind of like the NBA in 2024. Like your three best players on any team, if they're playing 22 of 26 yes. games, okay, that's, that's you know, you're pretty good. Yes, they they were getting better. And you know what, I'm, I'm coming to, this is just me. And I hope I'm dead wrong on this, Basinonians, and I don't hold it against Bradley Beal in any way, shape, or form. But there were guys that I played with that, for whatever reason, they were tough guys, too. They were tough. But there were guys that I played with, for whatever reason, could not stay healthy. They just couldn't do it. And I'm I'm hoping this isn't the case with Bradley Beal, even though the last few years has been pretty obvious that he's had he's had a hard time staying healthy. Yeah, and some of them, I mean, we've seen we've seen some of them this season. It's just been bad luck. But some of it, it's I don't know. I mean, he's he's so important to this team. It's not it's not like he's the sixth man on a on a good team. You know what I mean? He yeah. is he's one of the big three on a team that has gone all in to win the title. So I think that's where if you're a Suns fan, you're on edge right now because you went all in. I think at a certain point as a as a fan base you want your team to go all in. You don't just always want to be hovering around, hey, maybe we're a playoff team, maybe we'll win a round or two. Like you want to go all in at some point. But we're getting a, a an extreme version of how much luck is involved even when you go all in. You know? It's it's like going all in with pocket aces and poker. But that doesn't mean you win anything and, and you could lose everything. And that's kind of where the Suns are right now. Um I, I do find myself like even yesterday watching that game, wondering, Wolf, like a year ago at this time, they added Kevin Durant and it was like, look out, right? You've got Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. Yes. Well, right now it's like, well, they've only got Booker and Durant. Like, why? Why isn't that enough <laughs> to to knock a team out in the first round of the playoffs? Like, if Bradley Beal had to miss a couple games at the start of the playoffs, shouldn't you be able right. to survive it? And yet, we've seen it yesterday. Notwithstanding, they are not the same team without Beal, which is crazy because he wasn't even here last year. Yeah, you know, I'm hoping they're going to evolve. They're going to continue to evolve. And you know where I'm talking about. I'm the defensive end of the floor. I'm sorry. Again, the the intensity, the physicality, the toughness on the defensive end of the floor. This is where I think they can make the biggest gain, the biggest adjustment, where they can get better. I, I'm just disappointed right now. And the, the reason why I say that is because we haven't seen the big three be able to actually stay healthy to the degree in which I'd like to see it and think they need to in order to go into the postseason. I'm wondering if this Bradley Beal situation will continue to be an up-and-down thing. The the uh, pregame show yesterday, Michael Wilbon was there, Kendrick Perkins was there, um, and Wilbon basically said a version of what you were just saying. He's like, it's not an excuse but you could just tell he was even tired of talking about it. He's like, but how are you supposed to judge this team when they don't have their big three? But at the same time, it's like there's no guarantee they will have their big three. So you don't know if what you're judging is what you're ultimately going to be judged on. Perkins, I thought, had something really interesting. He said they need to – He I forget him. He said like Kendrick Perkins. He was like somebody called Lost yeah. and Found because they lost their identity. Yes. Um I'm not sure he's totally wrong, and I still think you can get it back. And I think it's understandable when you never have your full lineup together 
Like they looked like they were starting to carve out their yeah, identity for a little right. bit there. Finally, 40 games into the season. And now it's kind of like, and he said this before the game yesterday, so maybe yesterday's a step in the right direction. But it was, coming out of that Rockets game, it was like, this doesn't look like the same team again. Yeah. And it isn't. They have their, all their players. You know, culture to me really deals with the strategic part of a basketball team or a football team, baseball, hockey, whatever. The strategic part. And the identity is, is of that culture is more of the tactical part. How are we going to do this, right? So you can have this this culture and this belief. This is how we want to play basketball in this case. But you've got to have the identity that allows you to actually go out on the floor and be that. Yeah. And that's where I think there's been a disconnect. The culture has been there, what we want to be, but the identity, the disconnect on the floor. All right, we come back over to football. Wolf is not the only one talking about Kyler playing under center, and now we have numbers. Oh, Wolf, no. So the verdict is in. We're going to oh, dive no. into those numbers next. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Hey, it's Bernsey. The NFL Combine starts this week. So what players are we looking at the closest? We'll talk about it on the Burns and Gambo Show, and it starts. It's straight up 2 o'clock on Arizona Sports. Well, I know you saw it because we just watched it during the break, Wolf, but uh, Wake Forest storming the court and Duke's best player getting hurt. Yeah. Even before you said it, I was like, I don't know if I can picture Wolf on a field that's getting stormed. I don't know how well that would have gone for everybody. Yeah, that's, um, man, crowds, crowds running at you in a very physical kind of way. Man, I'll tell you, especially some of the some of the pictures that I saw, they ran into some of these players yeah, that, hard. That, uh, I'm not the world's biggest Duke fan, but that looked like some of that could have been avoided. You yeah, know? Like, hey, right. you could just run around the giant guy in the blue jersey who's just trying to leave the court. You didn't want to. Uh, to football, and the headline of the story is how Kyler Murray under center impacted the Cardinals offense. Does that sound like something you might be interested in? You know, honestly, um, I'm wrong about so many things based on onions in my life. Um, you know this. I, I really don't I don't care about being right or wrong on the air. I don't. I want to be fair above all else on the air. That's what I care about. But having said that, this story right here, it is it is awesome to see. This and the reason why is because it is verification that Kyler Murray is growing as a player, and this offense is growing because he's growing as a player. Uh, it's on ESPN.com. Josh Weinfuss wrote it, and he he went through some of the numbers, which I'll throw at you. I'll, I'll try not to recreate what you did on Friday, where you threw every number possible. We got to bring that back it's at some point in time stat. because that was just hysterically bad. <laughs> it was like, wow, Wolf, that is a really cool stat. Yeah, wow, Wolf, why are you going on for four more minutes and, and <laughs> complicating? Just let it hang. Stats. You're butchering it. Uh, this is from the story. It says Murray spent 25 percent of his snaps under center last season, more than double his second highest rate in his rookie season in 2019. Between then and last season, Murray had never spent more than 8% of his snaps under center. Right. So that's a very numerical way of saying he was under center a lot more 
last season than he was basically his entire career before that. You know what is so, I saw that and I just started laughing because that's what I was talking about. I literally said that. 25%, just throwing it out there. It was just a number where you need to do it enough where teams are going to prepare for it, but you also need to do it enough where you get good at it. But it, it doesn't have to be this all-the-time thing. Oh, they're always under center right now, right? It doesn't have to be that. You want to do it all. You want to be capable of doing it all. You want to be diverse above all else in terms of the schemes that you're running offensively and the personnel groups that you're using in rundown situation because that defines what an offense is. You want to be multiple, Luke. You want to be varied. You don't want to be locked in. You don't want to be predictable. You want to be capable of doing it all. Uh, there's more from the story talking about Drew Petzing. It says uh, Petzing's plan in placing him under center was, according to Gannon, to put opposing defenses in conflict, allowing Murray <laughs> to cause the defense to be unsure of whether it was about to face or a run or a pass, leading a unit to be on its heels. Now, look, that may sound very basic and simple and logical, and that's because it is. <laughs> How long have we been talking about this? Yes, well, if you were on, you were on this back back when the Cardinals were succeeding by not going under yeah. center, you were on it. But how many times have we had this conversation on this show? And Lorenzo Alexander would come in here and be like, "Look, man, I played defense in this league for 15 years, and when I played defense, it was harder when I didn't know if the other team was going to run or pass. If I know what you're going to do, you just saved me a split second, and that split second means everything in the NFL, especially when it's the first." split second after the ball is snapped. I don't understand why it took the Cardinals so long to do this, and it obviously wasn't Gannon or Petzing that was taking a long time to do it. In fact, I'm guessing when they came in, they were like, why aren't they doing this? They have Kyler Murray. They have a mobile quarterback. Yeah. They have a guy that's really dangerous on bootlegs. Yeah. Um, you know what, though? It, it's it's so amazing, based on these, because you can go back and you can look at it, and the the new age offense was taking over the game of football. It was. I, you know where it peaked? You know where it peaked? I'm just going to say this. For me, the new way of thinking, everything was changing in the National Football League. Isn't that right, Sean McVay? <laughs> Isn't Boy, that right? The amount of teams that tried to copy the Rams. Exactly. Whether by building through free agency or by trying to run the new age. Yeah. 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 With Jared Goff. And here we go. And by the way, he's in his headset. Right. Yeah. And I get a young just, coach with a beard. That's what it means. Absolutely. <laughs> you've got to have this new way of thinking. We're going to do it through free agency. That's how we're going to win a championship through free agency. And it just, it's amazing to me um, how it just continues. And I talk about it over and over and over again, but it is, it is the truth. And this is the best thing about this. The Arizona Cardinals have a back named James Conner, who's 232 pounds and will attack the line of scrimmage. This is one of the reasons why I'd love to see them draft a running back somewhere in the fifth round, maybe even the sixth round, a guy who's going to truck you, a guy who's going to be very similar to James Conner in terms of attacking that line of scrimmage. So if, in fact, James Conner is banged up, which we've seen him get banged up, and he's not going to play... It doesn't have to change your game plan. 
because you got this guy that you can bring in who's also a big body who's going to attack the line of scrimmage. Back up running back. Not a change-up guy on third down, but back up running back is going to be a position that I'm going to watch very, very closely with the Cardinals going into this draft. Uh, here's Kyler Murray at the end of the season talking about playing under center. Uh, just you know, just gives the defense a different look. Uh, I think you know my ability to be able to move, run, uh, throw outside the pocket, inside the pocket. Um, you know, wh- why not? You know, uh, be as versatile as possible, and um, you know, like I said, give de- give the defense different looks. Uh, allow James to hit. You know, kind of running backs to run downhill. There's a little more from Kyler. I feel good. You know, I enjoy it. You know, it's something I kind of asked for in the past. Uh, like, just I think it, you know, differ, you know, it gives us a different versatility into the offense um, that we could have used. And it's just it's, it gives the defense a different look. You know, you can't can't really see the ball as far as play fakes um, in that quick that split second. You know, as far as play action and stuff like that, it it affects the defense. So I I, I enjoy it. How much did you ask, Kyler? <laughs> How much did you ask for it in the past? <laughs> Honestly, were you telling Cliff, Cliff, I've got to go under center more. I, was it Cliff? Was it Cl- Cliffy? This is if you're out there, please. This is what's weird about it, though. I could listen to that, and, and it's not just him saying that. It's, it's his willingness to play under center this season, obviously, more than he's ever yes. played in his career and, and seeing it work. It's really easy to listen to that and, and see it play out and be like, man, it was Cliff. Cliff didn't want him to play under center. Like, all that time we were trying to figure out. But then, like, there were games where Kyler missed and Colt McCoy would come in yeah. and he'd be right there under center. Yeah. So I, I I don't know. I mean, it doesn't matter now, I guess. But there there was some sort of See, you're right about off. that. It doesn't matter, Luke. But, but man, do I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> man, do I want to know. Honestly, it just it, because it, it's part of what was happening to the National Football League and the game of football that I love so much. So many, kill your sacred cows in the game of football. Oh, everything was changing. How you prepare, and it's still, oh my goodness, it's still the biggest change in the game of football. How you prepare a human being to play in an NFL game. It's night and day different, okay? Everything was changing, though, including the schemes and the physicality of the game. And you know what? Maybe the combine is a whole lot more important than the senior bowl. Maybe it is, and maybe it's just it's going to turn into two-hand touch at some point in time. And all of that now is gone. It is swung swung back to the middle. I continue to talk about it. It's the best thing about it. I love it. I love where the state of football is right now. They've got to do a couple of things to fix the game, starting with the kickoff. I was going to say, just nothing but kickoffs? Starting with the kickoff. And you might want to let Oklahoma drill come back. Oh, right. Please. Now, now you've got today is the first day of real hitting. Full pads, full contact. The day's highlight is the Oklahoma drill. <laughs> Football at its most fundamental. It's like she knew where you were going with that. The highlight. The highlight. Today's highlight. For whom? Oh my goodness! It was so brutal, especially when you'd practice against another team. And you'd go Oklahoma. You can't. You're not. You can't. You've got Kyler under center. You've got the pendulum swinging back. You cannot. Ask, you cannot Just ask for the Oklahoma drill. One more Oklahoma drill. Uh, coming up next, we're going to take you through the top stories of the day with Wolf and Down Your Lunch. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.